0: Welcome to the Axis Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Axis Entertainment and the host of the Axis Effect. And I'm super excited to be here with dear friend, Joe Quinqua. It was like one of the top communication officers, like across the board, from consumer brands to agencies. Oh my God, Jill! I'm so excited. We're chatting today. I feel like we didn't need an intro. We just need to start talking.
1: I love it, Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here chatting with you.
0: Yeah, and I love it because we'll be we before for a while we were talking about, and I, I love that you spent a good chunk of your career, 10 years as VP of publicity at the Walt Disney. Company. I mean, that's just amazing because I met you guys. I know your agency, which I love saying as a PR firm, I love other PR firms. And 42 West, it was definitely an agency that you were at for a while that we worked with for the Media Excellence Awards. And I gotta tell you, it was just such a tremendous experience working with your team of seeing how other agencies work when it comes to handling client affairs awards and stuff. So we had to work with all agencies for the MEAs. So um, it's, it's been super exciting to see like your career kind of weave in and out of the agency world and what you've done.
1: I love that. Thank you, Sarah. No, for me, look, I always have said I'm an agency guy at heart. It's where I started. I was quite literally 17 years old. Still, I was in my first year at NYU Tisch School of the Arts. People usually assume that I was in the film school, but I kind of let them believe that when, in fact, I was there for drama, but I knew that I was already, which not not the bad prep for our business, right? To um, study in the drama space. But it's funny. So I always consider myself an agency guy. I started working because I wanted to get out of college as quickly as I possibly could for no good reason. And they set me up at a Broadway PR firm. I didn't know what the heck it was. But on my first day, literally, the boss brought me into his office and said, advertising is what you pay for. Publicity is the free stuff. And put me to work. And I've been doing it now for over 30 years, some version thereof. And you referenced some great places I've had the honor of working like 42 West and Disney. And um, I'm lucky to have gone back and forth because I do consider agency being the bread and butter for the training of what we do.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because like when we talk about leadership with so many people from the corporate side, from sports, tech, and entertainment, but when I look at these companies, we talk about leadership, I always go back and think, the only reason why you have leadership is because you must have had a good agency behind you starting out in your career. And it's I always like reference, like, you know, if you look at Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Larry Ellison, we launched and worked with Oracle, all of them when I was running another agency up in San Francisco, which Neil May and Partners run globally. And it's like they all say in their books, they all have these big leaders in tech. Like the guys who just created the tech industry from every angle were always giving credit to specific people and agencies. Wagner Edstrom was Bill Gates's agency. Pat Ekstrom was his right hand in PR, and he said, "I am who I am because of her." It's in two of his books. I, you know I know Ellison was like, "Look, I have people around me that know more than me. I'm only here because of the team around me. I mean, bill I mean, look at Steve Jobs who didn't need publicity. He didn't have a publicity problem. We do knew what computers were. He had a public relations problem. There was a strategic difference of establishing global footprints and leadership. And I always, always reference this to clients and to people because it's not the same thing. When I started my agency, I left a big agency, which I want to talk to you about why you went this path. Because when I, my path was, just get out of college, like you. Just, just get out of college, get out into the Something world. I just
1: wanted to pay my own bills. We
0: just like, want to get out, get in work. world. But then, you know, and I, I kind of weaved my way through, went to the, you know, events and marketing, PR off the bat, you know, but I weaved in and out. Client side, corporate side, end up on the agency side. And I just had a client who just was like, I'm like, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. And they're like, well, we need you. I go, well, keep on with the agency, but I'm just not there, This account director. Like just you have a layer of VPs and they're like no it's been you it's always been you we went from seven to thirty eight million in three years hundred ninety eight million dollar M and A and he's just like it's you not that agency so I'll pay you what I'm paying the agency until you sort out what you're doing so we're not left hanging and I'm like holy shit you don't pay somebody in their twenties that much money you know like twenties and but like like I never look back. And I always like they they took that leap of faith in me and I've had my agency since then. So it's, and, and people always ask how I got here, but I, I don't know if it was by design cause I'm good at what I do. It just made sense. But like you went from college into PR and I, yeah. and I want to talk about Disney, but leadership wise, like, the, did you know this was a path you were going to take or did you just, fall into this and it created you as a leader to then be able to effectively lead other brands and other teams.
1: It's, it's a great question. And it's absolutely the truth that I really did fall into it because I was going for a BFA at Tisch School of the Arts and I was not... I thought I was going to go the artist path. And most of my friends have stayed in that path. But I'm grateful that I sort of decided early on, you know what, that wasn't filling my cup the way I thought. And I just really fell into PR because an advisor said, well, here's a way you can get more credits and graduate faster, which I did in only two years. So, and I literally just transitioned to me. I started working while I was in school in PR. And I said, oh, I love this because I realized I had an enormous amount of enthusiasm, right? My parents would always tell me, you know what, this is great, but like, we've now heard enough about that TV show. We've heard enough about that thing that you love. And I'm like, well, I just like telling stories and I love sharing what I want in any platform we could. And let's be clear, back when this was in the late 80s, there were only a few mediums by which to do it. There was no internet. There was no social media. (laughs) We had to do it, you know, hand-to-hand combat, as I like to call it. And I started building those relationships with media, literally, you know, all those many years ago. And that transition, what I wound up doing, you referenced 42 West. But for me, that really came about my first real, real job out of college was when I was working for PMK. And back in that time, PMK was really just three letters that they used to say at that point didn't stand for anything else, which in fact, they certainly did when the company was created. But it was a small, privately owned firm. We were only 20 of us in New York, 20 of us in LA, and represented primarily just really big movie stars. And which was a really great experience when you're doing publicity for the likes of Tom Cruise and Denis Moore. And again, this is, you know, the, this is the early 90s. So, you know, you can go down the list of who the A-list was at that time. What really interested and intrigued me, though, that I fell into was the film side. I wasn't as interested in the personalities, which I didn't think allowed for as much creativity as much as the content, which we didn't call it back then, but so working on films. And then I wound up leaving there to go to a smaller firm where I could work on independent film, which brought me to all of the film festivals from Sundance and to Toronto to Cannes and really getting, you know, great, great filmmakers. And I was there during a really big time when, you know, the small independent players were really taking their place. And that was a really odd gateway to my role at the walt disney company i was 30 years old there was a vice president role that opened up uh, the east coast publicity head in new york this is exactly 20 21 years ago and i didn't know anyone at disney because disney didn't hire a lot of agencies so i had worked with every other studio yet i used my contacts i used my relationships and said look so i actually entered my first job on the brand side if you will was a leadership role. I was told before I started the job, look, you're coming in, you're this 30-year-old guy, you're gonna run this. There are people that, you know, have been here for a long time. The company is a legacy company. And I was brought in and I made some significant changes in how the group ran, but I used it with an agency mindset. I said, you know, I would I came into this large team and I'm like, well, my team, when I was working at PMK and other agencies, it was me and if i was lucky an assistant like that was my team so when you're given all of these resources that's always been a theme i think everywhere i worked starting with disney being in a leadership role and sometimes at a younger age and the people that i was asked to lead was just look i respect and understand that you have processes here and i want to learn them please just allow me then to ask the questions because maybe we'll come back to exactly where you've landed but maybe we'll discover something new together. And that's kind of the way I've always operated. Look, I'm definitely a different leader now than I was when I started that shop in 2002. But I've always tried to keep that as the guiding sort of the sort of the North Star for me of let's just, you know, figure out together best practices. So it's less of, you know, being the leader that comes in as a dictator as much as I would love to go ahead and learn from you while you're learning from me. So
0: that's probably being a good leader I mean I think my being a good leader is a good team player. you need to know when to lead when Absolutely. to slaves and do it I mean I think there's different forms of leadership out there. I mean I'm a big believe we all make easy decisions. it's easy we just make an easy decision we want to think it's making the hard decisions how you make them. They're really defined as a leader. I think you're going to fail. You must fail publicly. And it's not how you fall. It's how you get back up and move forward. And that, to me, is a sign of a good leader. And I I just so and I know because you were at 42 West for a while and between you and us, we always work with startups. And I know we see tons of startups or companies, you know, especially with the pandemic, people are leaving and jumping ship off the big brand side in sports, tech, and entertainment. Oh, you know what? The pandemic is quality of life. I'm going to take a break because I can, but I'm going to go start my own thing. But it's, it's not the grass is always green. It's a different shade of green. And I think it's very hard to come from a structural corporate your whole career into the startup mode. And then do they go back into and taking a year or two off? You're way further off than you ever thought. Then go back into a larger corporate mold. I mean, I've seen a lot of big CEOs who've done that shift and they're not doing well in these big companies because they just, I think it just needs a change. But if you can't, but you need leadership is knowing how to lead different companies, different agencies, different teams, vendors, different footprints in different countries. And I think people take it for granted Oh, well, because I was a CEO of this or that conglomerate, I could easily take time off and just walk into a bigger play because there's more money and lead. And I think that reality, that bubble doesn't last very long. I just think it's so hard to lead because I always say don't lead with your ego. You cannot lead with an ego. Be humble, be authentic. And when you make hard decisions, we all have to make hard decisions that affect other people. Maybe they lose their jobs or you know, they get pissed off, they get not promoted to a place they thought they would. But I feel if we make decisions, we need to sit down with whoever that other person is and explain that they are valuable. We do appreciate them. And because I made a decision, whether it was personal or not for more money or whatever it was for my career, that I'm not leaving a trail of people that are casualties of war because I made a decision then to let you walk away feeling like, you know, I walked all over you and I see so many people who don't take that time to really reach out to the people who supported them to say, my decision was because of this. And I can't let you feel like you're not a value and you're not appreciated. And I just feel like there's so many layers of what makes a good leader. And I've seen so many people hide behind a brand where they really should be reaching out, returning calls, returning emails regardless, because you you and I both know you could be great today, but in two, three years, you could be on your ass because you couldn't cut it no matter how good you are. And then you need those people. And I feel like leadership is really, really making sure everybody who has a touch point in your life understand where you are, where you're going, and why you may be moving in that direction. Not the social media bullshit of let's post memes, reach out. Everybody's important, you know, like, you know, CEO leadership, you know, be appreciative of people, but then you're an asshole as soon as you get off your social, because you're not really following that. You're just being a hypocrite. And I'm just going to put it out there. Like, like what in your mind, you went from Disney, which I'm so obsessed, with. I love that you went to the corporate side, but then you've been on the agency side most of your life. Are, Are you seeing a big shift from the clients, from just people we know in general, what we're reading about on the leadership? Or are you seeing people really staying true to the ethics of what a real leader takes?
1: You know, I actually think we've seen a really nice evolution both, you know, throughout corporate America, whether you're on the agency side or the brand side. I think the definition of leadership has changed a lot. Really, I think, especially with the pandemic, you know, I had the, the honor of working for an incredible leader during the pandemic. I reported in to Mindy Grossman, who was the CEO of WW Weight Watchers when I was her chief communications officer, a role that I took on in 2019 prior to the pandemic. But it was interesting. You know, obviously, we also had sitting on our board Oprah Winfrey. So we had incredible guidance and incredible mentors in terms of how to lead in crisis. And let's be clear, most of us had been through crises before. We can go ahead and point to different points when we've had to adjust. And I think that's really the moments, for me, where leadership moments have mostly been made in those times of crises. And I think even those of us who had been familiar with 2008, 2001, different moments, 2000, you know, 2020, almost three years ago, tested all of us in a way that we, none of us had been before. So I was able to work for people that understood how do we show up? And how do we actually show up for our people? And doing it in a remote environment made us have to be so intentional. I'll be like, I came into a role in 2019 knowing that I was going to oversee external and internal communications on a global scale, and I kind of just said that like, okay, that's I, that's my job, and I have to build out a team as such. But what we learned so much is that the internal communications piece, I wasn't really leaning into that until. Oh, my God, all of a sudden, in 2020, when I stopped traveling the world, and I had been traveling all the way as far as New Zealand and Australia, and going to all over to see our brand people, I, I couldn't leave. I, no one could go anywhere. So we had to really learn how do we actually activate and show up for our people. And it wasn't that I was the voice of our CEO. I was the voice of myself. She was her voice, but we all decided, how do we need to be a leadership voice And show people that working moms, working for people that were sitting at home after they had spent a whole lifetime commuting into jobs, people that said, I want to pick up and move my family outside of our headquarters location. What can we do? Having to deal with layoffs, onboarding people that and also offboarding people without ever having met them outside of Zoom. It really... So I actually think that for myself and by looking to so many others... I think people became, you saw the real leaders emerge over the past few years, that being vulnerable was never really considered to be a very, you know, a, it was a soft skill that was not talked about very much. But, but
0: now but now it's like, it's, just, it's admired and respected. Like, I, lo- and I love what you just said about showing up. It's not about showing off. It's about showing up.
1: And absolutely. Very different. Two and, different and, things. And,
0: and, 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 and I think you showed up, you absorbed, you, and my idea was lean and detect. Use it to your advantage. There's no reason to not connect or talk to somebody. And I love that you showed up and you did above and beyond what you did. I, I just feel like we saw real leaders rise through COVID. I am just disappointed. I think when I had, I think my, I think I had such high expectations when I saw certain people really step up and fight through it and be there for their teams. And then I'm seeing that shift of where they are now, where they kind of defaulted back to the pre COVID bullshit, bullshit, and ego, and just kind of just putting people at distance, not really doing the follow ups. And I just felt like, okay, we've all been through this. We've all been through hell. It was a pandemic. We saw people rise and fall, get back up, fight through. It was a tremendous time. I thought people would be nicer, better leaders, but I feel like they shouldn't be. They're just bigger assholes because pandemic's over. So they're all kind of defaulting back to what they knew, thinking, OK, well, now I'm in a bigger, huge monster company, a new one, whatever, making more money. So now it's all about no, no, no. You got to go. You got to step back and realize what we went through.
1: It's <laughs> so, so funny. funny. We, too. <laughs> we have we have to remind ourselves. I think it's yeah. I, I love that you bring that up, because let's be clear, we can say, well, for the past two, three years. Most of us are of a certain age and it's like two or three years is not a huge amount of our lives. So we could easily revert back to, the, you know, different than our children who it could represent a huge part of their lives. And we'll see years from now how it affected them. But for most of us as adults, you're right, we could easily fall back in. And it's funny, I did Workplace, not a commercial, not paid for, but, you know, I'm not. I didn't grow up as a Facebook native, but Workplace, which is one of their products, I learned at WW. That became something that was an incredible lifeline for us, a way to communicate on a global scale. And I did a post early on in the pandemic about... It was around Groundhogs, a movie that I absolutely, you know, have appreciated more and more over the years about a story in which, you know, the Bill Murray character is reliving the same day over and over. And a lot of us were feeling that early in the pandemic. And I wrote this workplace post about, you know what? I found that there was apparently the second largest waterfall that east of the Mississippi is 10 minutes from my house. And I never went to go see it until I was shut down and couldn't do anything. And I'm like, I loved having moments like that. And I think, you know, to not be an asshole, to not go ahead and to be so ego driven and to really focus on the people and the things around us. So to your point, though, so I actually have started the year in the work that I've been doing post-WW. I have been, it is now what we're talking, it's February 15th. I've already been to Los Angeles. I've done five cross-country trips already. And the last one was I flew home on Groundhog Day. And I sat down in my plane seat. Groundhog Day was on. I'm going to rewatch this movie again. And I'm like, damn it. You know what? I am finding myself, not completely, but I'm falling back. into. It's like, oh, God, it's so great. We're back to normal. I don't think any of us want to be back to normal. Because so much of us, we did learn so much. And I think so many of us, grew during that time, uh, emotionally, spiritually, professionally. There's so many things in our lives that changed. And I don't want to stay in lockdown forever, but I also want to retain all those. I kept saying early on in the pandemic, we can't go out, so I'm going to go in. And literally meaning going in and taking the time and doing the work that there was never time to do or the impetus to do. How can we really grow and show up for people, our families, our coworkers, And so I, I'm just going to watch Groundhog Day every year, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need to be reminded we can't just go back.
0: Yeah, and I could I so love you. You go. You can't go out, go inward. I, and I hate to say, but like, I, so for a minute, I was actually kind of, I mean, I was devastating all around, but it was in my own little bubble. It was kind of, I was kind of happy with COVID. I didn't have to deal with people. I didn't have to go out. I didn't deal with all the assholes, all the people. There was no humans around for a bit. It was like a minute for me just to stop and breathe. And like, I would like, you know, cause I, you know, being in LA, New York and LA was the worst places to be. We were just, it was pure lockdown, but like I went on walks. I started running, went hiking with a good friend of mine. Didn't know there was a waterfall and like a jungle, the area and outside of LA I'm like, what's going on. But like, I literally was with one of my friends. We always go running and walks just to get out because gyms were closed. We were the only humans out there. And I'm like, Oh my God look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Those flowers are amazing. I never saw that. He's like, well, we, you, you live, you walk by this every day or drive by, but I never noticed certain things. Like I literally was joking. Why are the squirrels so fat at the parks on these trails? Because there's no humans, no smog and the flowers are blooming. Things were just clean. Like I'm not talking about just the streets, the air, because we were all inside the flowers. I'm talking life in a weirdly messed up way, I'm saying, as I know this sounds so crazy, as bad as things were, things felt clean and clear for a minute to me because we had, to know we had no choice to look inward. And, and I know it was a messy situation and so much illness and death and like mental anguish. But for brief moments through COVID, things felt just clearer and clean to me. There was no outside factors in my head. And I actually hate to say I had some, it was, I, I got very lucky during COVID was have to keep working, create a podcast, finish the book, you know, leaning in the technology, but things felt clean and clear. And I agree with you that that was a good time, but yeah, I'm excited that to travel and we're back and I'm back to go to New York again and all this stuff's going on, but sometimes we have to stop and, hey, what did I just go through? Where was my fight? Where was my survival? Where was my journey leading up to COVID? How did I handle it during COVID? How am I going to be a better person, better leader post-COVID without getting starry-eyed with new job, new opportunities? Because that's just easy to go back to your old CEO ways. And we know very few people I was impressed with as a leader moving into COVID. And I thought I'd have a whole stack of them coming out, but um, it's a shifted of what I feel a good human, a good leader is, which is, wasn't what I thought it was going into COVID.
1: And I think you're right. I think the idea is that we've learned that you can be a good human and a good leader and i'm not sure everybody thought that necessarily previously and i think we know that actually a good human does make a good leader you know and i think what you're talking about really it's the balance and i know it's such a cliche to say it but One of the reasons that I knew I was joining WW and I did is that Oprah Winfrey was going out on this one of her incredible inspirational tours where she's on stage for literally hours at a time, arenas with hundreds of thousands of people, and telling her story and infused with, in that case, obviously, the WW philosophies and the brand and really how it changed her life. But we talked a lot about balance. She had a lot of balance. And I'll be honest, I was on tour... this was not feeling like balance. We were literally, we were traveling from city to city to city and it didn't feel balanced. And I literally remember I turned to my husband when I got home on March 9th, which was the end of the tour, shockingly of 2020 just happened to me. And obviously, you know, we know what happened. I literally turned to my husband and said, I don't want to leave the house ever again. And of course, starting uh, like three days later, our kids were sent home from school and we never did leave the house. So, But that wasn't balance either. That's the idea, is that the lockdown, while for all the wonderful things that you're talking about that we all got to experience and perhaps change about ourselves, that really didn't feel like balance either. And now that we're going back into the world, how do we actually perhaps find it? I think the fact that I'm actually able to sit home today and have this conversation with you and when I'm done, I can check in with my children who will be coming in the door. But then I know that tomorrow I need to be in the city and in the office and have that experience. I think that's the balance that maybe we were intended to get out of this, that we don't have to just say, okay, I get in the car or on the train at this time every morning and I get to this office and I sit in the office and I do these things. Maybe actually just be intentional about every single moment of our lives.
0: Being present is like, we cannot be present in the moment of where we're at. If we're so busy scattered, trying to do other stuff. I had this, found this great thing. It was like, you can't change your past. It already happened. You yep. can't, change or doing thing to control the future so it hasn't happened yet so it's to stay present and breathe through the moment and I yes. just think that we become these hybrid creatures where we have the home balance if you want to go out we go out if we don't go out for two three days we're just working and grinding through but we want to get out to the gym or we're at our own speed at our own accord of how we want to live our lives and I think longhams obviously has Companies understand that you still have to do your job just because you're at home doesn't mean you're not working. But I I feel like it gives us that flexibility for a calmer, having a calmer grinding through your weekday because it's at our own accord. We have the luxury of doing things, not filling that extra anxiety. And I spoke with a good friend of mine about, you know, in LA, and they're just like, it's just anxious, just just going through traffic. Do you you want to be on time? You're going to be on time, but then anxiety of being into that, just driving and being somewhere has kind of subdued a little bit, which is good to see. But, you know, then we look at, you know, people with all the mental anguish, especially people that are in their 40s, 50s. I'm going to leave my job. Do I want to stay at home? I can't be at home. I need to keep moving. But then do I keep moving at warp speed worse than pre- pandemic to make up for the three years I was down because then that just throws your whole trajectory. There is no balance in that. So I think everybody's, I don't think everybody's back to where they should be happy. I think people are still trying to sort out what is the new normal. And I'm either going to go warp speed at this new huge job and just leave my family and friends in the dust so I could travel and be gone and away because I haven't done it for so long. That's what I'm used to. Well, that's not good. Do I just want to stay home and not have a career because that's not going I just, I, I just think people right now are back, but they don't know how to be back and be better while they're back. And I think that's where yeah. leadership is such a critical role to stop, stand back, talk it out, talk to somebody.
1: I love that. To be back and be better at the same time. And you're right. That's a skill I think that people have to learn or relearn. I think it's a very, very good point. And you talk about the leadership is what's dictating, you know, so many people that have left, quote unquote, the workforce or they're left full-time jobs willingly, not talking about the people that are laid off, of which, of course, there are lesions, but the idea of people who actually are choosing it, you're losing some really good people because as a leader, You have to give people... I think what they want now is a little more grace and agency over their own lives. I learned pretty early on in the pandemic, what I needed wasn't what everybody that worked for me needed, right? Like I would go, okay, I want to be able to... I'm now working from home. I want to work these hours to do this. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not going to send you an email after 6 o'clock at night. The funny thing is that I started learning from people that worked for me saying that had little children going... Joe, you know, I can't actually do this now. I'm gonna start sending emails at nine o'clock tonight because that's when my kid goes to bed. And for me, that works for me. And I think that it's offering people the flexibility to go oh, if I'm going to actually work from home, it doesn't mean working the way you did in an office. I'm actually at home. So my children walk in the door at 2.30. So I might need a break when they come in the door and then I'll stop. But then I'll come back on a little bit and I'll, I'll rejoin after dinner. It's. I think it was, we all made such assumptions about what people wanted to stop them from working 24 seven, which was a problem. But I think it's just, we could keep, better people and good people if we empowered them a little bit more and not have to force them into whatever it is we say is our version of a work day or a work life.
0: Well, the thing is, though, you're still working. And that's what a lot of people understand. I mean, I have a few friends whose partners, well, you're at home all day. You deal with it. Well, no, if I'm home working, I am home working. You know, yep. just, you're still working. It's just it's not just empowering you know, those around you, it's empowering those beyond those around you. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, we have to be better, but we've got to come back and be better. And I think we've come back. I don't think we're necessarily better like we should be because I think we came back with, I'm free. I could go party. I could go brag on social media openly because we're allowed to be traveling. I just feel like come back, be better. But if you can't come back and be better, maybe you got to rethink. How you're coming back? And but like, let me let me chat with you about something. Like between the agency side, you've been agency guy your whole life. You've got two monster brands. That I mean, amazing, amazing job. Do you prefer one over the other, or like how? Like what is and what is your your, what's your best advice going from a big agency to startup on my own or vice Mm -hmm. versa? Because you and I both seen both sides of the fence when it comes clients and stuff. People rise and fall. What is your best advice for people then? And I'm not saying from necessarily a communications expert, but going from a big corporation to startups or going from startups to a big corporation. You and I both know that's a big fence to climb over, but what is your best advice for executives in that manner?
1: Well, I think that the the biggest danger is people coming out of large brands, big in house jobs, whether C suite or simply, you know, at any level. I think there is the ego. You you referenced it earlier. I think there is, you can sit inside these large companies that are incredibly hierarchical and you really are working with people that they exalt the, the senior leadership that they can really operate in sort of glass towers and not have the exposure that they need to. I always think about sometimes. Going back on the agency side, it's like when Rocky goes back and has to go back to his initial training in Rocky 3. It's like, it's a good thing. But you, so to say, check the ego at the door is so obvious. But frankly, I would argue you should be bringing it in both directions. When, because again, having gone from agency to brand to agency, back to brand, back, you know, consulting, to me, it's, you want to have some level of consistency. And I think bringing best practices from both. When I am inside an agency, I think I am always trying to create some sort of level of process and understand that we're serving people that are on the brand side, so they appreciate our scrappiness and our ability to get things done that they might have on the bureaucratic side that they can't do. On the flip side, when I work the two brands that I've worked at, I think that I'm basically in a glorified agency. When I'm sitting inside the Walt Disney Company, I always said I worked across all film titles, all brands, you know, and I was saying. Marvel is a client, Pixar is a client, Lucas became a client towards my later years. Like, it's those are the clients, and you're serving them as if I was sitting on the agency side. So, I think taking the best practices from both and not thinking one's better. Look, there are definitely people who feel that they breathe better in one or the other. I actually am very comfortable in both environments, and I try and bring what is really the strong points of both into the other because I don't like to bifurcate it quite as much.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, I, so I believe agency people thrive better in big corporations, not the other way around. And same thing for going from a big monster corporation to startup. It's hard because you have that. I have all these people working for me. You're, and I'm just going to say this out loud. The higher up you are on these big companies, as a CEO, global companies, thirty hundred thousand people and property. Yeah. You're a glorified babysitter. You're not a leader anymore because you have so many layers of people managing, managing. You're just responsible, bar none, to the board, bottom line revenues. Yes. And, and no matter how good. I and mean, we just so we said we were at the worst. We were worst. Pandemic's over. There's nowhere to go but up for a lot of companies. So no matter if you skated and didn't do anything, your company's still going to be revenue you know, positive because they're open. People are spending money to get in. But that does not mean you're a good leader because that company would have done really great with or without you because pandemic's over. They're just going up. And I feel like you become a glorified babysitter. And I think the politics become tricky. I just feel like being at an agency, you are leading an agency, multiple clients. So when you go into the corporate side, you have a leadership of Multitasking, multiple company strategy, go to market planning, revenue driving initiatives across all platforms. You do it for your agencies and for your clients. Walk into a big company, it's the same leadership skills. You're just doing the same thing to what your point is. I feel the same way. I could walk into any global company, run their corporate global communications better than anybody because I'm not running my agency, my podcast, and a global. Mm-hmm. I'm running three of my clients' companies and then all the I- employees easy. If I'm coming from a big corporation into an agency or a startup, I'm going to struggle. So I do feel there is an advantage for people, I'm going to say people like us, who ran agencies to go into bigger corporations if we want to make this shift. Because your value, who you know, you have your finger on the pulse from media, publications, awards, events, leadership strategy, you got to grind harder to get more um, recognition and leadership than a big footprint. You are more valuable to that company within that corporate communications realm than the other way around because you only know what you know when you're you're a corporate guy. And I feel like there is that difference. And I love that you've hit both sides of the fence on this with your companies.
1: I agree completely with you, sir. I think that is absolutely... Those are the learnings I think we're all trying to take. And in fact, look, I'll be honest. I've always said I'm very biased. Whenever I've hired anywhere, I'm always biased towards people that are on the agency side, regardless of the level they've been at. I mean, because Uh, I think that, look, they work really hard. (laughs) They work really fast. You have to juggle an enormous amount. And also, it's the hands-on from... If you're talking specifically with PR and comms folks... You're really, really hands on. I have never been in any role and the people that I've worked with and for would vouch for this. I'm a hands on media guy. Like a day that goes by that I don't talk to press, it hasn't happened. Like I don't want to ever lose that. So if I am the client, I want to be the best client because I really understand what you're doing for me and my team. And if I'm back on the agency side and I, you are my client, I promise you, I'm going to make, I may not make every single phone call. But if there's a phone call that needs to be made, and if there's a crisis situation going up the ladder, like that's what I'm here to do and how to smooth that over. So I think that's absolutely right. There is, I actually have advised people, people early in their careers that have come to me. I understand the lore of going to a brand immediately. If you're a PR comms person, I would always start at an agency. Just re- you're going to learn more in two years than you probably would in... At a brand, and if you're desirous of going in-house, in quotes, at some point, great. But I think go make yourself as valuable as possible. Work hard, learn fast, and a lot of those people just stay on the agency side forever. But those that have the ability to go back and forth, it's a it's a superpower, and and I love yeah.
0: that. We have superpowers. <laughs> know. i just and i do love and i do think for recruiters mainly if i'm a recruiter i'm going to go poach i don't care how big or small i'm going to go poach a ceo of an agency or vp of an agency to go onto the corporate side not the other way around because there's so much power in agency people higher up and you never know what's going to happen so my, and i know we're going to wrap up soon Okay. my big thing is publicity versus public relations which <laughs> is not the same thing you and I both know this and it drives me crazy. So I feel a good part of leadership is step back, educate. Whether you become a client or not, I'm going to educate you on the difference and no matter who you go to, at least you're going to make smarter decisions on that agency hire. And I've told a lot of potential clients, look, this is the difference. There's the education of what has to be done. Whether you hire us or go elsewhere, just make sure you're asking these questions and you're making a smart decision because a lot of companies hire the wrong agencies, spend money, get super mad, but then they don't want to pay an agency what their value and worth is to clean it up. And then it's just such a dynamic industry when it comes to go to market, be client facing. And I just feel there's such a education. If you could stand back and educate a client or a company with no intent to be hired, but just make sure that they are educated with the knowledge to make smarter PR decisions, you've done a good job of being a leader, whether they become your client or not.
1: I agree completely. And I think that that is, that's a really important point to make. I would even add, you may or may not agree with this, but publicity, public relations, i have strategic communications as another bucket which again the distinction to me is that again and i'm not trying to undersell the other pieces of it but really you know in my own career i think as i you know continued in it strategic communications is really the way i like to look at it in terms of again doesn't mean that we can't be doing very traditional consumer facing pr activations but ultimately the elevation of the conversation. I like to say, because I don't love the phrase crisis talks. I get it. But because, frankly, it's all crisis if you don't do it right, right? And there's still going to be crises even if you don't. So I think, where is our strategic approach to all of this? What is the plan? So we're creating a story and have a plan in place. And I think you're right about the education piece. I don't care whether I'm working inside an organization or educating clients. It's just about if you're educating people that they're curious and they're open to the information. A great leader needs to be open to so many things, but I think any leader that is smart in this day and age is keeping their PR and comms people very, very, very close. If they're not direct reports, they better have your ear as frequently as possible, and you better be including them in your decisions because we can look at all of the challenges that have arisen in over the past few years they can all be traced back to a lack of listening, understanding, and education about what this space means and the value of it.
0: This is lack of leadership. Quick question. I love everything that you've done. Where are you at right Are you still with WW? Are you, are you contracting with them? What are you doing? We're off the air now. <laughs> well, no, no. <laughs> no, I knew it was going to come up. Like, what is next for you? Like, you've done so much on the corporate <laughs> I- side. You said, what? like, what? what are you looking at? What are you looking for?
1: This next question, I, you know, I, I am really open and agnostic. I am really enjoying the fact that I'm in a consulting phase for the first time in my life, meaning yeah. that I'm not, you know, full-time with an agency. I am not full-time with any of, I am really taking this moment post-WW where there was a very significant regime change and I am rooting for them enormously on many levels as I've been a member of the brand for 20 years. And still today, a shareholder. So I care a lot about their success. That said, for me, it's a little bit like Rocky going back into the gym at this moment. Again, as I've done for having been inside an organization for a few years, uh, a public company, I'm sort of enjoying this moment of consulting and working with so many different clients in so many different spaces. I've been really leaning into a lot of my NGO work. I'm very passionate about my friends at Family Equality. It's very close to my family's heart spending time with them, and then really exposing myself to new and different things. with Some really great folks. So I'm open and agnostic about what comes next. Just as I said, just trying to just do the next right thing.
0: Yeah. Do you want to go back to the agency side or do you think we'll go back to the corporate side in your next journey?
1: I think that that could. I could see both versions of it. I really do. I don't know if I'm so decisive on it. I, I think that I have a lot to offer on both sides. And maybe it becomes a bit of uh, you know a bit of the two. Now that I've you know sort of taken on some of these consulting gigs, if I even were to go back inside of a large public company, I think I'd like to keep some of these things for myself on the side. You know, I've never done that at any point in my career. Started my own little LLC. I have some creative projects that I'm even working on with my husband that has came out of the pandemic. So it's like you know it's it always used to be I'm Joe Quenqua working here. I think I'm now sort of in business for myself and not from an ego standpoint, really just more of a exploring what the opportunities are for me. And I'm excited to see that a lot of presented themselves. So we're excited to see what comes next.
0: Okay, and I don't want to let you go, Joe, before talking about family equality, because I know that's uh, super important, dear to your heart. Tell me a little bit about family equality, what you're doing with them and where this is going.
1: Oh, you're so kind for bringing that up. Thank you. I'm so lucky. I did first connect with them back during my days at the Walt Disney Company. And my family was young at that time. And I don't think I appreciated the value of what they've been doing. They're a 42-year-old organization. They're the foremost leaders and advocates for LGBTQ families. And that can take a lot of different forms and definitions. But it is now currently run by this incredible woman who comes from the private sector herself. Her name is Stacey Stevenson, she is the CEO, and is she is a Black queer woman that grew up in Texas, born and bred, still peppers all of her conversation with y'alls, and I, I adore her. She, one of the first things she had to say to me over um, last summer, after we got through a few events together, she goes, I need to leave Texas. My my children are scared. This is not a place. She has two twin boys with her wife, Sherilyn. And they made a decision to leave to go to full-time to Washington DC. And it has been such a wonderful thing for her and for the organization. And uh, we have two big galas every year, but the policy work that the group is doing on a day-to-day basis that they, you know, they were plaintiffs in the Florida don't say gay case. They are, Stacey has really taken the organization to a new level and providing resources for people that don't have the privilege and the luxury that she has of saying, I'm going to pick up and move my family to an environment where I feel safer and freer, which she very much does now in her new life, not everyone can do that. So it's helping families with children that are affected by laws affecting trans children, single families. It's, it is really so all-encompassing. The biggest marquee event is Family Week, which has been going on for just as many years up in Provincetown, Massachusetts, where families gather. And for many people, especially if they're coming from places around the world where it's not New York, it's not LA, they don't know other LGBTQ families. There are children meeting that have never met anyone else with two moms or two dads and having the experience to go there with my kids um, who are a little bit older now but still appreciated the fact that it's a safe space and a safe environment. The work is so impactful. And it was something that I started doing prior to leaving WW, but certainly being able to lean into that work. It's part of the transition, right? It was always like, oh, I'm on a board or I'm doing this. How can I really provide value to folks and help get the word out about Stacey and the group? It's been a blessing that I'm able to be a part of it. All about showing up. It is. And how do we choose to use our time? We only got 24 hours every day, right? We've got to sleep for some of them. What are we doing with those? And I
0: just took one of your hours today. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) this was for me, this was a a very well spent hour. I'm really,
0: I so loved having you on the show. For anybody, you know, Family Quality is one of your organizations that you're putting time into, which is tremendous. For anybody who wants to connect with you directly or needs to reach out to you, where is a good place for them to reach you?
1: It's so funny. I would never call myself a social media native. I have been. I found LinkedIn to be such a wonderful place to connect. I love that people, you know, send messages there. I try and share my own stories about myself, my family, the work that I'm doing. I think I'm pretty responsive there um, and try to be. Cause as you said, return that email, right? Return that note. You never know what it's going to lead to. And I'm excited to be meeting so many new people these days. It's exciting.
0: So good. It was so good having you on the show. I'm so glad we got together. It was great having you here, Joe. I wish you the best of luck with everything. I know we're going to stay in touch. But for everybody, this is Sarah Miller with the Access Effect. I'm with Joe Quenquok, my most favorite communications VP across the board. And we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Access Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com.